0: John chapter 14 is where we're gonna go this morning as as we think about what it means to to live in this in-between space, right? It's what Aaron talked about last week, the the in-between, not where you used to be, not where you wanna be, but somewhere in in the middle. What does it look like to to meet God in that that middle space? And every time I, I come into the Advent season, I think back on this, this season of life that Sydney and I enjoyed greatly, it was, it was the season right after I proposed to her and she made the best decision of her life and she said yes. <laughs> she got this guy in lockdown, you know, and I'm, we all know that's a joke. <laughs> like, you know, I proposed, she said yes. And, and when I first proposed, we thought we were gonna have a really short engagement. That was kind of the plan, you know, that was our plan. Have you ever had one of those moments where you had a plan and then everything shifted and that was, that was kind of that season for us? We thought short engagement, and, and then some things changed with grad school, and we spent a, a big chunk of our engagement in different cities, long distance, long engagement, not the way that we, we wanted it. And I remember in that season, right after, right after she made the best decision of her life and said yes to me, and we got engaged, and we were beginning to plan things, our friends would come around, a lot of them who were just a little bit ahead of us in life, and And they would do that thing that sometimes your best friends do where they would encourage you and then they would immediately throw a wet blanket on your joy like raise your hand if you have a friend like that like you know like that they see your good moment and then they they bring some discouragement you know if you don't have one of those friends maybe you are that friend (laughs) and on behalf of humanity like quit it like we we don't need any more of that but like i remember we get engaged and friends like oh congrats and then immediately they're like oh but it's gonna be hard it's gonna be hard, like, you're gonna have to wait, and like, you're just ready to be married, and like, you know, this is gonna be so hard, and you're gonna have to pick out, like, you know, envelope colors and flowers, and like, and like, everybody's like, so hard, so hard, so hard, and and I remember I had a friend who's about 20 years older than us, and he was just this, like, voice of reason in that moment. He, he's like, he's like, that's nonsense. He's like, yeah, there'll be some hard moments in the waiting, he says, but here's the deal. You've got to understand the season you're in, it is not primarily a season of waiting, it's a season of preparation. And there's a big difference between a season of waiting and a season of preparation. Like in a season of waiting, you're just like white knuckling, just like trying to get through the day, like waiting for Christmas to come, right? You're like, just please come. You're just like scratching the days off on the Advent calendar. Like, like waiting sometimes is this like passive, like I don't know what to do about it kind of response. But preparation is a moment where you realize time is not against you. It's actually a gift. I remember my friend in that season, he said, Dave, you're, you're, you long to be a husband, but you are not ready to be a husband. And you've got a few months now to get ready to be a husband. (laughs) Hey, like like where you are is not where you used to be. Where you are is not where you want to be. In this place in between, it's not just a season of waiting. It's a season of preparation. And if you're wise, you will leverage it. You will leverage it. So in this in-between season, you'll grow in this place of love. And I think the reality is uh, sometimes in the busyness of our world, in the busyness of culture, in the busyness of Christian culture, we sometimes come into the, the Advent season. We come into the month of December and we tend to approach it in one of two ways. Sometimes we come to it and we go, this is a season to remember. And it is a season to remember. We remember that Christ came into the world. It's a beautiful thing. Hopefully you will do a lot of remembering in this season. Or sometimes we, we, we engage this season as a season of waiting. That's what we talked about last week where we recognize we're in between two places. Like, oh man, we're, we're longing for something. But I think Advent is so much more than remembering and it's so much more than waiting. It's a season that's marked by preparation. And this morning, just for the next few minutes, I wanna look at kind of an unusual story. I would argue that maybe you've never read this story in the Christmas season. Maybe this isn't like your go-to, like Jesus, baby Jesus in a manger kind of story. Like it's, it's not the top of mind story for a lot of Western Christians. But I believe it's such a beautiful picture of Advent and the season that you're in, whether you realize you're in it or not. And this morning I wanna wrestle with one simple question is, in this season of preparation, what does it look like to grow in our love and our affection for Jesus? Like as we prepare, for this reality that Christ is gonna come again. And I wanted to say this as clearly as I know how to say it. I wanna say this so simply that you would have to pay somebody to help you misunderstand it. Like we believe as followers of Jesus that Christ Jesus will return like physically. This is not a metaphor. It's not an idea. It's not just a spiritual platitude. We believe that just as Christ entered into the world physically the first time, he will come again the second time, but this time he will come as the king. And what does it look like in the busyness and the chaos of life to set our eyes on the arc of redemptive history so that it changes the way you live right here and right now? whether you're 13 years old or 30 years old or you're in that space where you don't tell people how old you are anymore because you feel weird about it. Like, wherever you are on the journey, what's it look like to prepare ourselves for the arrival of the King? And I love this moment in John chapter 14. I'll give you just the cliff notes. Uh, We're at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. When you get to John 14, he's about 33 years old. He's spent the last three years doing uh, public ministry um, and god 's done amazing things, but here he is when we get to this point in the story it 's the night before his crucifixion he 's just hours away from being wrongfully arrested, brutally beaten, uh, nailed to a cross that he did not deserve on behalf of the sins of humanity, or he 'll spend three days dead in a tomb that he doesn 't own to be raised back to life before he 's crowned king of all kings and so he 's here at this critical moment in his life and Ministry, and he's, he's having this kind of one last dinner with his friends, the, the Passover meal. And it's this amazing scene. You know, Jesus is telling stories, he's preparing them for what's getting ready to come. And he makes this statement that sometimes for us as modern Christians, it's tough for us to, to get our heads around what he's saying. It just feels like a spiritual guy saying spiritual things to other spiritual people. But what Jesus says here in John 14, I, I'm just telling you, it is so pregnant with imagery. And power and potency, that if we don't get into it, we actually miss the season that Christ is calling us to embrace. And I just want you to know, let's look at these words together. We'll try to unpack it. John chapter fourteen, starting in verse one. Jesus says, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." Now, why would he say that? He said that because he just let them in on how bad the next few days are going to be. And so Jesus says, "Hey, here's what's about to happen." He says, "But don't let your hearts be troubled." He says, "You believe in God." Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that, listen to this. He says, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to rep- prepare a place for you? So I want stop for just a moment. Uh, Jesus is, he's digging back in their memory bank here. He's saying, hey, I want to remind you of something that we've talked about many times, that there's going to come a point in our friendship where for a season, I'm going to physically Go to a place that you cannot yet come. And Jesus has been speaking to them about that reality. He said, I'm getting ready to go to this place. He says, I've told you about this. Verse three, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Look at verse three one more time. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, and what do you say? And take you to be with me so that you may be in the place where I am. Now, we, we, we read this, you know, you're sitting in these like lovely, comfortable white plastic chairs in this room that's too dark to read in on a Sunday morning with your $5 latte and like feeling Christmassy, right? And, and, and we read this passage of scripture and we go, we go, okay, that's cool spiritual stuff from our spiritual leader, Jesus. But that is not how his friends and followers would have heard this. They would, have, they would have known exactly what Jesus was alluding to. This was a metaphor that was so anchored in their reality that they would have grabbed hold to this moment going, whoa. And, and, and I'm convinced that this, this metaphor was more than a metaphor. It was actually a roadmap to help them understand the season they were getting ready to enter into. And in order for us to understand these three verses, you have to understand just a little bit of first century Jewish marriage tradition. Now, I don't know how many of you read up on that kind of stuff on the weekends, you know, but uh, I I know you know this all, but let's just pretend that maybe you don't, and I'll just kind of catch us up, okay? Is that cool? So um, first century marriage tradition, this will help us understand what Jesus is saying. It would start with a father sending his son to a distant land. Now, this, this was important because if he sent his son to find a wife too close to the family house, he might find somebody that's too close to the family house, if you know what I mean, right? And can we just like all get like an amen? Like you don't want to marry too close to the family house, right? Like I know we're in Tennessee, but we don't want to be that Tennessee. Like, And so the father would send the son to a distant place, right? And the son would go to a distant place, usually to a place that some sort of agreement had been made between the fathers. And kind of the second part of that journey, once he got there, was he would show up into the household uh, to which he was gonna marry this young woman, and they would agree upon a bride bride price. Like, hey, here's, here's what it's gonna cost to care for your daughter. Here's was gonna cost to, to walk this out. It, it, it seems so foreign to us as modern people, but it's actually this beautiful reality uh, that really caused you to take, um, take account of what it was that you're getting ready to step into. So the son would go to a distant place and make this agreement. He would pay the bride price. And then there's this beautiful moment. It was sort of akin to uh, us getting down on one knee and putting a ring on the finger. Um, they would share this cup of wine, which was much cheaper. I I propose we go back to that, much more cost effective. I don't know if any of the women in here would go for that, but they would share a glass of wine. And as they shared the glass of wine, this couple was kind of that engagement moment. The parents would pronounce this engagement, this covenantal blessing over them. It's called the cup of the covenant. And after that had happened, this young man that had traveled a far distance and paid the price and extended the cup of covenant, He would make the journey back to his father's house, he'd spend the next 12 months, and both of them, apart from one another, would begin to prepare for the next thing that they were stepping into. So some of you are doing that whole long-distance relationship right now. That's not a new thing. Like, that's that's been around for a long time. So the son would go back to his father's house, and sometimes he would build a house literally on the side of his parents' house. And so some of you that live too close to your in-laws, it could be worse. Like, you know, he'd build a, a room on the side of the house, or he would build a space like on his parents' property. And then the young woman, she'd begin to prepare herself for what it would mean to leave her land and her people and enter into a new family. It was this season of preparation. This is one of my favorite parts of the custom. After 12 months, the groom would not tell the bride exactly when he was coming, but usually what he'd do is he'd get all of his groomsmen together, and in the middle of the night this was the custom in the middle of the night, they would get, they'd get um, torches and they would get um, instruments, and they would go marching through the villages this sounds sort of like a mob, it's a love mob. you know they're like marching through the villages towards his bride's house, and they're just announcing, "The groom is coming!" The groom is coming, the groom is coming. Everybody's shouting and singing, and it's just kind of this like moving processional, this party, and as people would hear the noise coming, she didn't know the exact hour, she didn't know the exact time, but she didn't know the season. And she'd wake up in the middle of the night and get ready because, hey, it's time for the wedding. Can you imagine, oh, ladies, Like, can you imagine your wedding day starting that way? Like three in the morning, you're sound asleep, and you're just like stunned awake, like, like, <laughs> time to get married like you know and and so she's up and she's now getting dressed and the bride and her bridesmaids and her family they would go out and they would welcome the groom and they'd walk back to the father's house and they'd have a seven-day feast there'd be a moment of consummation which I won't describe because there's kids in the room and then there would be this moment where they live forever in the happiness of the father's house And it's this this incredible picture. And I want you you to stop and just look at this screen for a minute. I know it's maybe kind of hard to see in the back. We'll put these online this week so you can look at it. But I go, man, this is the gospel. This is the, the picture of Christ. Like all throughout the scriptures, the people of God are referred to as the bride of Christ. And that Jesus is the firstborn son of heaven that makes the distant journey, that he comes for the bride knowing that he's gonna to have to pay the price for the sins of humanity. You remember what happens in John 13 right before the passage that we just read? What does Jesus do over the Passover dinner? He extends the cup of the covenant. He proposes. When's the last time you took communion on a Sunday and you went, oh, this is just us reenacting our engagement. He extends the cup of the covenant. And then in verses one through three that we just read, what happens? He says, I'm getting ready to return home. And the disciples would have gone, oh, this is where we're at in the journey. And so Jesus leaving was not a moment of him abandoning humanity. It was a moment where he was making it crystal clear that he was preparing humanity for the unthinkable joy that would be forever theirs. And that they were not just entering into a season of remembering. Can you imagine if the earliest disciples, like after Jesus left, they went, well, that's kind of the end of the story. So here's our goal, the rest of human history. Let's get together on church on Sundays and remember what life was like when God used to be here. That wasn't, that wasn't the thought. They knew they weren't in a season of mere remembrance. And they knew they weren't just in a season of just waiting, they knew they were in a season of preparation because they knew Christ Jesus was coming. And they knew that there'd be this moment in human history, this is what the Bible tells us, where, where things will go dark, both spiritually and in reality, where Jesus Christ, the light of the world, will step back onto the stage of human history. Guys, this is where the story is headed. He will step back onto the stage of human history. Every eye will see him. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Even the eyes of the ones that pierced him. We'll see Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords returning. And it says, with shouts and with trumpets and with singing, there will be this inauguration moment while the King is here. And the question is, are you prepared for it? Are you prepared for it? Because let's just be real, some of you, you're so busy and you're so bogged down and you're so worn out, the only thing you can think about is that proposal that's due tomorrow or that party that you've got to plan on Wednesday or the deadline that you're facing in school. And so we stop collectively as the people of God and we say, hey, let's turn our eyes back to the story and let's ask the question, are we prepared? for the real arrival of King Jesus. And there's a lot of ways that, that we can prepare for this. And, but I just wanna stick in the actual story that we're looking at this morning in John 14. Just a few things I want you to notice. So much stuff that we could explore. But just a few things that, that I think Jesus speaks into, like right in the moment. You don't have to go chasing this far. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure it all out. Just a few things they said. So, What does it look like to prepare? I think it starts, number one, with us learning that in this season of preparation, we have to keep making the choice that we will transfer our trust to Jesus. That we will keep transferring trust to Jesus. Look back at verse one. It's so interesting to me. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, you believe in God. Believe also in in me. I love this, this word belief. I think sometimes in our modern way of thinking, we hear this word and we just, we think about it through the lens of intellectual assertion. Oh, I just, okay, I believe the right things. I want to make this abundantly clear. Jesus is not saying, hey, make sure you know the right answer. So one day when I return, you check the right box. That was not his understanding of belief. That was not his disciples' understanding of belief. That's not the biblical understanding of belief. The best way I know how to describe belief is it is literally a transfer of trust. Whether you're an agnostic or an atheist, a cultural Christian, a deeply devoted follower of Jesus or somewhere in between, we're all across the board in the room this morning. Wherever you are, your faith is in something or someone. The question is, is it in Jesus? And here's what I know is it's possible to spend your whole life in church, to say a prayer, to get in a tub of water and never actually transfer your trust into Christ. To actually depend on him, to long for him. I, I was reminded of this on Friday night, Sydney and I were on a date and just weren't even thinking about the teaching for this weekend. She just asked me a question. She said, Dave, what are you struggling with in this season? The question is, there's a lot of things. It's like I always have just like a laundry list of struggles, just, we all do. She's like, what are you struggling with in this season? I said, in this season, I'm struggling with this battle between my desire to be independent and God's calling on my life to be totally dependent on Jesus. And I know none of you have ever struggled with this. You're so much more spiritual than me. But just pretend for a moment. Just try to put yourselves in my shoes. Like, can you imagine what it would be like to proclaim Jesus with your lips, but to keep trusting in how much money's in your bank account? Have you ever had one of those moments where you get online to look online to see how much money's there, and the number's bigger than you thought, and so you get excited? Apparently, I'm the only one. <laughs> a much more common experience for me is to get online and immediately wanna start drinking. I'm like, oh God, what? Apparently, that's closer to home in our church. (laughs) That's why we're giving so bad, which leads me to, um, just kidding. Have you ever ever had a moment where you proclaim Jesus with your lips, but you you trust in your own thought process, you trust in your own strength, you trust in your own physical health, you trust in your own, I mean, I'd go down, we could just fill it in the gaps, right? What Jesus is saying here is he said, hey, listen, in this season of preparation, you get to make the daily choice to keep placing your trust over and over, transferring your trust over and over to me. And sometimes you're gonna do this proactively, where you're gonna get in the word and and God's gonna inspire you and you're gonna realize, man, there's things I've gotta let go of and I've gotta put my trust in Jesus. And then there's gonna be times where it happens reactively because your circumstances are gonna fall apart in ways that you never imagined and you're gonna get to decide, will I trust King Jesus or will I trust my finances, my strength, my community, my whatever? Like, Who will I trust? And this is one of the fundamental differences. It's one of the fundamental differences between a human, humanistic way of seeing the world and what I believe is a Christian way of seeing the world. A humanistic way of, of seeing the world says maturity is marked as we move from dependence to independence. That's how things are kind of marked in the natural realm. And so a little baby needs her moms and dads for everything, right? And you know that baby is mature when all of a sudden it doesn't need anything from its parents. That's the mark of maturity in a human, in a, from a human perspective. But in the kingdom of God, it's the exact opposite. Maturity is not seen as we go from dependence to Independence. But from independence to dependence on Christ. It's totally upside down. It's totally backwards. And it's so hard to embrace. It's so hard to surrender to. Because everything in life is working against it. I think when Jesus says, You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you come to me like children, I don't think he was speaking as metaphorically as we think he was. I think he was literally saying, if you want to experience the robust reality of the kingdom, you've gotta change the way you think about everything. And it will require you to move from your fierce sense of independence from anything and anyone to dependence on Jesus. And man, that's that's a stretch at times, right? So Jesus said, we're in this season of preparing. How do we prepare? We prepare as we begin to transfer our trust. But it's not just transferring our trust. The second thing that I see in the text is it happens as we make this commitment that we're gonna participate with Jesus right here and now in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And so in the Bible, you see these these big words sometimes, words like justification. Justification is a big word to, to refer to that moment when you're saved by the grace of Jesus. And then there's words like sanctification that talk about how you mature into your salvation, how you grow up into this free gift of salvation. And then there's the word glorification that refers to that moment when Jesus returns and you're made perfect. And so here's what I love. Whether you're talking about justification, sanctification, or glorification, the thing that connects all of them is participation. In every season of your life, whether you're following Jesus or not, he's inviting you to participate in the fullness of the kingdom right here and right now. How do we prepare? We prepare by participating With Christ, right here now, I'm gonna read a verse to you here in John 14 that none of you will believe. You'll pretend you believe it because you're in church, but I know you don't actually believe it. It's hard to believe. Verse 12, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes, so there's that conversation about transferring trust, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even what? Somebody say it with me. They will do even, come on, help me out, church. They will do even, don't you wish you could believe that? That's hard to believe, but it's true. And we have to decide, will we spend our whole life reducing the Bible so it makes sense in light of our experiences? Or will we ask the word of God to come in and to expand our experiences so they make light and sense of the Bible? Jesus said, here's the deal. When you transfer your trust to me, you're gonna do all the work that I've been doing you're going to serve the people I serve. You're going to speak the way that I speak. You're going to live holy, righteous, subversive lives. You're going to even walk in supernatural power. It's a reason we pray for healing. It's a reason we pray for the sick. It's a reason we pray for the miraculous. Even when we don't see it, we keep praying because we go, Jesus, you've told us this is how it's supposed to be. And we want to participate in it right here and now. What I love is when Jesus came, he did not just come to save you from your sins. That was a part of it. Please listen on this once you hear this. He did not just come to save you from brokenness. He came to apprentice you into a brand new way of life right here and now. Think about years ago, maybe you've heard me tell this story. Our, our dryer broke and we hired a guy to come fix our, our dryer. And he shows up on our porch and, and uh, there's another guy with him who's about 10 years younger than him. And he said, hey, my name's Robert. I'm, I'm here to fix your dryer. This is my apprentice. And don't worry, you're only paying for one of us. And I'm like, I know I am. I'm only paying for one. And, and then he said, he said, no, he said, I'm here to teach this younger guy how to do what I do. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to teach him. I'm like, of course, that's amazing. I had no idea that day as he was fixing my dryer that I was about to get just a beautiful picture of discipleship because this older guy starts teaching this younger guy how to do everything. So he walks in the house and just immediately starts showing him. He said, hey, when you come in, you put these things on your shoes so you don't make the, the house dirty. You, you talk to the kids and to the wife, but don't be weird or offensive about it. You know? and be relational, but not too relational. You know? And he's, he's just giving him all of his pointers. And then there's this moment where they get into our living room and they're fixing the dryer. And I'm just listening as he's showing this guy. He's teaching him how to do everything that he's just done. And you realize that's the longing of Christ for you is that everything Jesus did, he wants to teach you how to do. And you go, how? (laughs) By the power of the spirit in the context of community with a whole lot of grace and practice, it's the way the kingdom works. And so what's it look like to be in this in-between place to participate? It's not just this transfer of trust. It's every day saying, hey, God, we want to participate right here and right now in the way that the kingdom is breaking in. Show us how to live, how to love, how to serve, how to do what you do so that you'd be glorified. So we transfer trust. We we participate right now, here and now. The third thing that I noticed is that we make the choice to lovingly obey we make the choice to lovingly obey. Look at verse 15 with me. I love this. He says, if you love me, he says, you will keep or you will observe or you will walk out. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Or later on in the passage, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And here's what I want you to notice. Like, please tune in with me because we all come to the Bible with our own expectations, our own experiences. And we, we tend to hear this word of Jesus through different lenses. Legalistic Christianity. If you grew up in a legalistic church, here's what you heard your whole life. You have to do good things so that God will love you. That's the message of legalistic Christianity. You keep the commands so that God will love you. Lazy cultural Christianity on the other side, which is maybe a more predominant theology in our current day. Lazy cultural Christianity says, God loves you so you don't have to obey anything. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Can I just say this? Both of those theologies are from the pit of hell. Both of those theologies are from the pit of hell. This idea that you have to do good things so God loves you or this idea that God loves you so much you don't have to respond with obedience. Both of those are from the pit of hell. The gospel declares you are so loved already that when you receive that love in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you want to obey. That's the gospel, that you know you're loved, you're secure in love, you feel the love, you receive the love, and so you desire to walk that love out in obedience to the Lord. Does that make sense? Think about one of my sons last year. He had this amazing teacher. She was phenomenal. She was a very vocal vegan. And so all of a sudden, my son wanted to be a vegan, and I'm like, Lord, why? And uh, nothing nothing against vegans. Like, if you have a problem with that, just email me, Will Schenick at ethoschurch.org. You can send any of your complaints to me. But, uh, like, nothing against it. But he comes home and all of a sudden he wants to live a new way. Why did he want to live a new way? Because, man, this woman loved him fiercely as her student. And he just wanted to please her. How do you know? you are growing in preparation for King Jesus, all of a sudden, the love of Christ has been shed on your heart so intensely, you go, I wanna live righteous, I wanna live holy, I wanna please him. You know, I think a lot of us as Christians, we treat our engagement to Jesus the way so many people in culture treat their engagement to their spouses or soon-to-be spouses. I think about being down on Broadway, you know, periodically I'll go down and just try to serve and minister to people. And just being down there, I see all of these bachelor parties coming through, and I know this is gonna step on toes. You're welcome. This will maybe bless you if you'll just listen to this. I I see these guys, and I go, guys, this is the worst way to prepare for covenantal marriage. This is ridiculous. You think this is gonna help you love your soon-to-be wife? You know, you think this is going to help you cultivate a heart of faithfulness? This idea that the night before or the weekend before or the month before we're going to go and just get slammed and flirt with people that we're not going to be engaged to or pay people to take their clothes off like I know everybody's getting uncomfortable. I go, this is our culture. It's the culture that some of you participate in. And Christ has more for us. And just like it's a... a A ridiculous way to prepare for human covenantal relationship. It's the same in regards to our relationship with Jesus. This idea that, man, Christ is coming one day, we do whatever we want, he's so gracious, so loving, we just do whatever we want. It's like, no, when the love of God gets a hold of you, you go, I want to please him. I want to walk in righteousness. It doesn't mean you're gonna do it perfectly. but you go, man, I want more. Does that make sense? Somebody not along with me, like, if it makes sense. I don't know if you're with me. It's like, so what do we do in this season of preparation? We, we transfer trust. It's a daily choice. We participate now. It's a daily choice. In love, we try to obey Jesus. It's a daily choice. We do it because he loves us, and we know that everything he calls us to brings life. Last thing, I'm not gonna spend much time here. The last thing is we make the choice to keep growing in our friendship with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Aaron spoke on this at great length two weeks ago, so I'm not gonna hardly hit it right here. You can go back and listen to the podcast from two weeks ago when he talks about friendship with Jesus. Fantastic sermon. But this verse that we're gonna look at, it precedes what Aaron was talking on a few weeks ago. Look at verse 16 and 17 with me. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and he will, say this with me, he will be in you. Say it again, he will be in you. He will be in you. The spirit of God. Like how how do we walk out this season of preparation? We realize in this season of preparation that God is not far off, he's not distant, he's not over there somewhere. He's literally not just with us or among us, he's in us. And that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we come together and we experience the manifest presence of God right here and right now. It's why worship matters. It's why house church matters. It's why community matters because you experience the presence of God in community in ways that you never experience alone. And things happen when we come together. And so in this season, as we look towards the return of King Jesus, we go, man, How do we keep trusting in you? How do we keep participating with you? How do we keep lovingly obeying you? And how do we keep building friendship and intimacy with you by the power of the Holy Spirit until we see you face to face? And so in this season, as everything around us is speeding up. In this season where young men in our midst are getting shot by the violence and the brokenness of the world we're in. In this season where people are politically divided and religiously divided and socially divided, what does it look like to fix our eyes on the one who says, hey, if there wasn't enough room in the Father's house, I wouldn't have told you there was. I'm getting things ready for you. And as I'm getting things ready, I want you to prepare. Here's my question for you. It's how are you preparing for the arrival of King Jesus? How are, you, how are you preparing? And some of you are here this morning and maybe you're not followers of Jesus and you go, I'm not preparing, I'm not in covenant with Jesus, I'm not in a relationship with him. Like, I mean, don't make it through this holiday season without really wrestling with why it is that you're not yet trusting Jesus. And if you have questions, there's some men and women at the respond banner here in a few minutes. We'd love to talk with you, I'm just telling you, we're not gonna pressure you into anything, force you into anything, we can't do that. We have no desire to do that. But if you wanna take a step, if you want to give your life to Jesus, we want to help you know how to do that simply. Maybe you came in here today lost and stuck in sin and you can walk out of here in good standing with God by the grace of Jesus. What a gift that is. You know, some of you, maybe you're not, maybe you are followers of Jesus, but you're just not prepared so busy, you're so bogged down, life's spinning, and I go, maybe there's some things you need to repent of, maybe there's some things you need to share as we take communion, maybe there's some things you need to get off your chest and let people pray about, maybe there's some new habits you need to develop, I don't know what it is, but let's not come in here and go, oh yeah, he's coming, and then just go back into the same kind of rhythm that we had before. How, how are you preparing for the arrival of King Jesus? There's some of you in here this morning, and man, you're just on fire for the Lord. And I, I just want to name this. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable to be crazy in love with Jesus, even when you're hanging out with your Christian friends. And I just, just want to say this, man, this is a safe space for you to burn bright and we need you to burn bright. If you are had one of those moments where you're just on fire for God and you hang out with your friends and all your friends want to do is talk about their fantasy football team or hang out with your friends and all they want to talk about is what's going on in culture all around and you go, man, sometimes even amongst Christians, you feel like you're too... In love with Jesus and I just want to say man like you are welcome to burn bright here we need you to burn bright I was reading earlier this week Hebrews chapter 10 I'm not sure if it was verse 29 or 39 somewhere in there you it ends with a nine you can find it (laughs) like in Hebrews chapter 10 there's this little verse that just struck me he says we do not belong to the ones that shrink back we do not belong to the ones that shrink back ethos church we do not belong to the ones that shrink back and even when, the, even when the culture's getting cold, even when the church around us is capitulating uh, to sin and to the ways of the world, even when it is socially acceptable to keep your mouth shut when it comes to the thing of Jesus, we do not belong to the ones that shrink back. We rise up in the name of Jesus with love and power and with grace. In this season of preparation, we say, Jesus, come quickly. And we're not scared to believe it. So let's stand up together. I wanna pray over us. We're gonna we go to the communion table. And as you go to the table today, man, as you take the bread, as you take the cup, you're reenacting your engagement, your, your, your commitment to King Jesus, to the Lord. And so I encourage you, bring the bread and the cup back. Process this question. Pray together, share together. Let me pray. Father, I love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for just the clarity that you give us about the season that we're in. God, amidst all the things that are happening, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to participate with you right here and now? Would you help us to lovingly obey you? And God, would you help us to know you as friends? Help us to prepare well, God. Would our lives be like a burning torch in the midst of a dark world around us? Jesus, come quickly. Amen.